This is The Bittersweet Life, a show for expats, former expats, travel lovers, and people who dream about moving far away someday. I'm Katie Sewell, a recent repatriate to Seattle in the United States after a year in Rome. My co-host is Tiffany Parks, an expat who spent the last 10 years in Rome. If you're new to the show, I encourage you to join us for the whole journey by beginning with episode one. If you're really interested in today's theme, however, back up to the beginning afterwards. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And you might remember that a, a few weeks ago we did an episode on Rome, places to visit that were beyond the Vatican and the Colosseum. Our recommendations for cool things to see that you might not have heard of. And during that conversation, I was reminded of one of our listeners, Madeline Jawar, who is uh, the creator and the brains behind a trip planning company called Italy Beyond the Obvious. And it just made me think of calling her up and asking her, what would be beyond the obvious as far as a trip to Italy? How she defines beyond the obvious. So let's listen. Okay. Rome, Florence, Venice, the Uffizi Gallery in Florence, the Vatican Museums and the Colosseum in Rome, Venice, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And so for a lot of people, that's the obvious. And anything beyond that is beyond the obvious. And, you know, you've lived in Italy before and you know that this kind of second tier and even the third tier cities are not at all off the beaten track. I, I mean, I can name 20 cities that are not Florence, Venice, and Rome and are not beyond the obvious. But some people think they are, and you have to spend a lot of time in Italy to get to those second and third and fourth tier cities. And that's a great fit for a lot of people. People want to go to places that are close to big cities. They say, you know, I want to get off the beaten track. I want to go to Florence, but I want to get off the beaten track close to Florence. They don't want to abandon all civilization and infrastructure, right? It's like... I want to see the Uffizi Gallery, but then I want to wake up in the same hotel and I want to do like a day where I'm away from the crowds. So maybe they're just going into Chianti and maybe they're just going to some small town, but they want to feel like they're not in the crowds of the Uffizi Gallery that they were in the day before. And that that for some people is just what they want. And that's fantastic. Do you find that a lot of travelers that you work with are a little bit afraid of going too far off of the beaten path, ending up in some village in Tuscany or something and feeling like they have no way of knowing how to communicate or survive? When I start working with people, I say, have you been to Italy before? How much have you traveled? Describe your ideal day for me. Are you okay renting a car? How do you feel about being in a place where you can't communicate with everybody? And if people say, yes, I've been to Italy three times, or I haven't been to Italy, but I'm very well traveled, it doesn't bother me when people don't speak English, and I'm happy to rent a car. So Piedmont is a great example of something like that. You know, Piedmont is famous for, if you're a wine lover, famous for Barolo. There's tons of great little towns you can explore. The infrastructure isn't as good. Like if you want to go wine tasting in Tuscany, you can find vineyards that have staff to take you on a wine tour. In Piedmont, it's the winemakers. They don't have extra people to welcome you and pour you a glass of wine and show you a behind-the-scenes tour. And there are some people that are up for that and some people that aren't. When it comes to Italy beyond the obvious, 
yeah, there's those people who just want to say, get away from Rome and, and Florence. But there are also people who come to you for beyond the obvious because they have some sort of special need as far as how they're traveling. What if you're traveling with an older grandparent? Walking from the Vatican to the Colosseum wouldn't even be an option. Maybe even Rome's not an option because it's too busy. Yeah, I do a lot of multi-generational trips where it's the grandparent who's maybe paying for the trip and there's 30 or 40 something year old kids and then there's anywhere from a newborn to a stroller aged child somewhere. The child needs a nap and the grandparents can't walk very far and so they contact me because they're like, we can't do a quote unquote obvious trip. We need a hotel in a specific location so that we can take the child back in the middle of the afternoon for a nap and the other people have something to do nearby. It's not the where they're going, it's the way that they're traveling. I did a group of uh, Orthodox Jewish family. They were multi-generational and they couldn't travel between sunset Friday and sunset Saturday. And the food requirements were very specific and they also had a baby with them and grandparents. And so, yeah, it's kind of... Is that exciting to you or does that seem labor intensive to you? That you're going to have to do a lot of research for that. Well, you should see my bookmarks. After years of doing this, I have got very detailed. It is very labor intensive at first. I have someone who helps me in Milan and she's Italian and she, you know, I put her to the task and, and I'll actually have her like call the restaurants and quiz them. In general, Italian websites are often not updated. Who's in the background right now? We my should... husband is. Uh, so we live in Silicon Valley and my husband is is starting a, a startup. So we are in the same office, bumping shoulders, coordinating Skype video calls with each other. Yes. How is it working together in the same office? It's great in many ways. I mean, we have lunch together and we, you know, if I have to mail a letter, I'll be like, let's go for a walk and we go for a walk. And um, But we have different deadlines and we have different conference calls and so and I have a desktop that I can't pick up and move so (laughs) I kind of have the better end of the deal (laughs) because if I have a call he has to leave or he has to do what he's doing now and put on headphones and just deal with it yeah so just going back to that multi-generational travel though are there any tips that you would think of off the top of your head that if you are planning to take a trip with multi-generations of your family, the things that you need to keep in mind? Yeah, I would definitely say have one plan per day where something is pre-booked with a third party um, at a specific time. Have a guide who everybody's accountable to. So don't be responsible. Don't take everything on yourself because people will come up to you and they'll be like, I didn't sleep well last night or, oh, I heard about this thing and can we just go over here? And then you can just say, nope. It's not up to me. The guide is pre-booked. It's the guide is coming at 10. Everybody has to be in the front lobby at 10. It's not on you. Once everybody gets their opinions about what they want to do and it's impossible, no decision will ever be made and nobody will ever leave the hotel. So that's my tip number one. But I would say don't overbook it. So book like one thing and then that's it. You have a great walking tour with somebody like Tiffany and then Tiffany brings up 10 things. You'll walk by some palazzo or something and she'll say, oh, that opens at two o'clock today or whatever. And then people get ideas and then if they want to, they've got the afternoon free to, to follow up. Then they have time to do their own kind of discovery and their own like spontaneous, hey, let's go for a wine tasting. And so it's you're not like a slave driver where you're like, no we have to go here and we have to do this and everybody hurry up. And, you know, you, you want to avoid that as well. 
And then the second tip I would say is have a plan for dinner. Well, what about the feeling that when you go in a big family that you should all be hanging out together? I feel like sometimes it gets to be that forced family time. We're supposed to be together. I mean, obviously, you're not also a family counselor. Yeah, no, no, no. But I have, but I have done this with my own family. I totally understand. Well, so the first thing I do, the first th- question I'll ask is, where does everybody live, and and how often do you normally see each other? People just have their own rhythms and their own habits and their own breakfast routines. To your point, they think they want a villa. They think they want to spend all this quality time together. And I kind of say to them, okay, a villa will have one kitchen and one living room. Would you want to consider having kind of your own apartment in the same building where every family has their own apartment, but then you meet in the lobby? Just talk to them about how much time do you really want to spend together versus how much time do you think you want to spend together, you know? (laughs) Well, what about when it comes to even just a couple traveling with a baby? So the first thing is kind of about jet lag. You cannot force a baby to change the time zone any faster than that baby is going to just change. And so you may as well just give up and let the baby take the lead. So I talk to people about that. They're like, yeah, I can, I can adjust six hours in two days. Well, you can. But when your two-year-old wakes up at three o'clock in the morning and does not want to go back to sleep, you cannot convince that child to go back to sleep. So you may as well just be awake when they're awake and be asleep when they're asleep. So that's the first one, and that changes the pace of the trip. It changes how much you can do. It changes how much you should do on the first day and the second day and the third day. The other thing is to find out about how much stuff people are going to have, and this is related to um, how old the kids are. We always laugh because there was this one trip when our kids were one and three, and we were a family of four, and we had nine items that we had to move from point A to point B whenever we went anywhere. One of those items was a suitcase. All of the clothes for all four of us was a suitcase. We had one suitcase, two car seats and two strollers and one computer bag and one diaper bag and one toy bag and one food bag. And I don't even remember what we had from baggage claim to airport front door. It was like nine, nine items of stuff. And so I'll talk to people about that. If you're renting a car, that means you need to bring a car seat. If you're going to be walking around Rome for eight hours, are you going to bring a stroller? That makes all of the logistics exponentially more complicated. And so you just want to reduce the number of places you go. What about if you're having more of that middle school, younger teen age? That age of kids are starting to get too cool to travel with their parents. It can start in the tween, 10-ish, all through kind of 20-ish, when they, where they think they're too smart for you and they think they know more. And And so the approach we take with those families is often like, let's trick them into learning some history. It's about doing a family cooking class, taking a family canyoning near Luca and near the Cinque Terre. There's some fun canyoning experiences where you basically run, you like have a helmet and you're, you're all tied together with a rope and you're kind of running fully clothed with sneakers on through like knee deep water. And it's just a great summer activity and it's something teenagers love. You say, hey, let's go climb up this medieval castle. And then you trick them into learning about what the medieval times was and what castles were and build it in so that they come home and they they learned what the middle ages was without actually feeling like they were lectured at by a history guy so that's madeline jawar the creator the technician the brains behind the trip planning company italy beyond the obvious she also does a pretty good blog there's some great articles there so um check it out 
I know I read one by you there. I know. I guest posted there. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. I really liked that post. Thank you. That was about the best places to go in Trastevere. Although I think my picks were not necessarily beyond the obvious. Well, it was your first year there. Yeah. Oh, well. I did pick the best places. Well, sometimes the best places are the best places and you can't really, you know. My pizza recommendation is not to be missed. So look that up. It'll be beyond the obvious. Find my guest post. Maybe I'll be nice and post a link to it. Anyway, so she talked a lot about planning trips for multi-generational families or big groups that have special needs. It just made me wonder if you've ever been in that kind of an experience. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Not necessarily the special needs, but definitely. It, does two count as a multi-generational or does it have I to be three? I feel like two counts. I mean, who, who's judging? As long as, yeah, if the kids are adults. If the kids are adults, I think it counts. So we, Claudio and I, took his parents and his two sisters to America about two years ago. Why did you decide to do it? His parents had, have always, both of them, dreamed about going to America separately. They both have this fascination with the United States, the way that some Americans have a fascination with Italy or France or other particular countries. But it's, uh, it's very common for that generation, the generation of, you know, the post-war period, to have a fascination with the United States. And both of them have always dreamed about going and we knew that they would never, ever just decide to go. We know them. They're not the type of people who would be like, okay, honey, you, you, know, you want to go to America? Let's make it happen. They would never have done it. So we had to go with them. When I say we, we took them, we didn't pay for them, but we organized the trip, we planned it, and we facilitated it because they would not have been able to do it without us. It was intense, let me just say. I'm happy that it, we've done it because I feel like it was something that we really needed to do for them, but I'm happy that it's done so that I don't have to do it again. <laughs> what was the most intense thing about it? Besides the fact that you had to translate. My father-in-law. <laughs> no, I know, but <laughs> besides the fact that you had to translate for everybody. That was, hard. that was a big part of it being difficult, is having to deal with the cultural differences and it's weird when you're in your own country and you're having to deal with your country's cultural differences from an Italian point of view that made it really weird particularly my father-in-law like the food situation was just a shock for him meaning he had to eat early or no not so much the time that he had to eat but just what was available he felt that Americans eat just like the way that if you go to Italy as an American, you might feel like all that Italians eat is pizza and pasta, when that's not true. An Italian coming to the United States, their impression might be that all Americans eat are burgers, sandwiches, and steak. We know that that's not true, but that's how it seemed to him. And he had a really hard time adjusting to the whole food aspect. That was hard, having to sort of balance the two cultures a big part of the trip was a road trip with my mother and stepfather as well. So that threw a whole new dynamic in. So it was eight of us, a young married couple, one quite young girl, 11-year-old girl, girl in her late 20s, and then these two couples, an older Italian couple and an older American couple. So <laughs> it was a bit of an interesting <laughs> group, I'll just say that. And you would never do this again? Uh, no, 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 no. I'm glad that I did it. 
But there's no way. It's too. It was too stressful. It wasn't a vacation for me. I enjoyed certain moments of it, but a lot of it was just stressful. I was dealing with the different dynamics, the different personal dynamics. I had my mom, especially when we were traveling all together, because my mom is really sort of, okay, we got to keep to the schedule and let's go. And the Italian women, including my sisters-in-law, would just take forever getting ready in the morning. They would go to the bathroom and they would be in there for 20 minutes. And my mom would be like, come on, we got to go. And I'd be trying, kind of stuck in the middle, trying to, oh, it makes me stressed just thinking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, was it stressful to the other people who were there? Or would you say that? Everybody else had a great time. I think everyone had a great time in general, myself included. But for me and Claudio, it was definitely more stressful on us because, you know, we'd been there before. I mean, obviously, I'm from there. <laughs> uh, but we were the ones who were planning the trip. You know, I had all, all made all of the arrangements. I had made the hotel arrangements, car rentals, trains, all of this. And I felt like it was a huge production on my part. Sometimes when you plan a trip... For other people, they don't always appreciate it, I think. Especially if they're not big travelers and they haven't really had the experience maybe of planning a big three-week international trip like that. They're not aware of how much work it is. And so sometimes I felt like, yeah, my efforts were not super appreciated. But I kept that to myself. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, that sounds stressful. Yeah, every so often my, my father-in-law will say, and I can say this because I know he doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> he doesn't speak English much. So he sometimes will say, my, we didn't manage to get to a couple of places in the States where I have relatives. So every so often he'll say, oh, Tiffany, the next time we go to America, we got to make sure to go to Idaho and Wyoming. And I just look at him and, you know, smile and think, there is no next time, my friend. <laughs> you can go. <laughs> you, uh, you have my blessing. I will even help you plan your trip. But I am not going with you. Sorry. <laughs> now he's got it into his head that when our kid is about two years old, he and his wife are going to take him to America to my mom's house so we can have a break. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't think... I don't know. I don't know what kind of a parent I'm going to be. If when my kid is two years old, I will be able to be away from him for that long. I don't know. But that's what, that's what he keeps saying. He's like, he's like, he can be our translator. A two-year-old? <laughs> <laughs> when do kids talk, start talking? One year old? I'm like, um, I think it's closer to two. <laughs> Yes. And will he be like fluently bilingual by then? For sure. I think that he he needs to do this when the kid is five. Yes. I think that will be a little more practical. Probably. Anyway, I know you've traveled with your father a lot. Have you ever done any other big multi-generational trips? Um, no, not really. Not beyond my family. There was a period of time where pretty much almost my entire adult life up into a point Every single time I went somewhere, it was with a member of my family. So I do remember that the first time I ever took a trip without any member of my family, it was very different. You don't realize that when you have this a full-time job and you want to spend time with your family and, and do the sort of traditional trips that you always do, but you only have this much time off, this much I'm doing the little tiny fingers because that's what it's like in the United States, this much time off, that you just end up only doing stuff with your family every year we go to visit my grandmother in Hilton Head Island South Carolina you know when you're working a full-time job that's the only thing you get to do 
but that said, I mean, I don't really mind traveling with my family. Where it's been more of a pain have been some of the trips that I did with my dad to Southeast Asia, where we'd take a big group of people who had never been to Southeast Asia with us. And some of those groups were great, and some of them were very tiring to me, <laughs> you know? Like, there were always a few people on the, each trip that I really, really liked, but when you're you're traveling in countries that are more in the third world it's so emotional for people especially if they've never been in a situation like that they've never seen poverty like that and so those trips can have a supercharged energy where you just watch a person like go through a life cycle they get on the plane they they're going on a big adventure around day four or five you go down to meet them in the lobby and they've got like a vacant stare and like this deep sadness behind their eyes and they look like they've been up all night crying so that by the end of the trip they're totally destroyed <laughs> on the flip side of that there's um the people who don't react like that at all who sort of maintain their american privilege and almost seem like they're like it's a big shopping expedition and look how cheap everything is and those people are tiring to be around at the same point it's a privilege to walk watch people go through something like that actually watch them become changed human beings is something i don't think you get to see very often and that way i'm glad i get to do it but it can be very tiring i can imagine that sounds tiring i was just talking with a friend of mine who was in rome for about a week and he, he basically works for a river cruise ship that goes from Amsterdam along the Rhine. And he is the one who has to deal with and you know, facilitate all of the people on this ship. I don't know, 100, 150 people. And he was just telling me how exhausting it is to have that many pe travelers relying on you for all of their information and all of their guidance. That's why somebody like Madeline blows my mind because she's very good at planning these trips and she seems to really enjoy it. And you can pay her to be on call for you while you're on your trip. If you're saying, well, I can't find my hotel, you could call her up. That's a great service. I, it is a great service, but I admire people who have that sort of planning mentality and like to put trips together or like to craft people's life experiences. I'm just not one of those people. I like to craft their life experience as far as the radio is concerned or like a live show is concerned, but I wouldn't want to plan somebody's trip for them. I would like somebody to plan my trip for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm the opposite. I could never allow that. I'm too much of a, I'd need to be more in control. If, especially if it's a trip, like I, I wouldn't be able to just say, okay, you do it. You just deal with it. I, I want, see, my thing is I want to plan everything for myself, but when I'm actually doing it, it makes me crazy. And it's my indecisiveness. I'm always like, well, this hotel looks really good, but this one does too. And so which is better? And oh, if I wait, then maybe the price will go down, but maybe it'll go up and, you know, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. See, and I'm the opposite. I would like somebody to just plan it for me, you know, just say, all right, Katie, you're going to be in Italy for six weeks. We're putting you here for two. We're putting, you know. I love that kind of stuff. No, I can't. I can't. I can't deal with that. I always feel like they are. Tr they're getting a cut, like a kickback somewhere. It's the same thing as going to a concierge and asking for ho for dining recommendations. I don't do that if I'm at a hotel because I don't trust that the concierge has my best interest at heart. 
maybe because I've worked in tourism, I kind of know how it works. It's not always like this, because I'm certainly not like this. I actually give people my honest opinion and recommend places that I really like. But I think I'm in the minority. But we don't know. You don't know, but I'd rather not risk it. So I'd rather do a little bit of research. I don't trust TripAdvisor, by the way. Absolutely don't trust it. So I don't go to TripAdvisor anymore. But, or it could just be like my mom. My mom has the sixth sense for restaurants. She'll wander down a back street. She'll find a closed door with like dim light behind it. Or some amazing restaurant full of locals. And then three years later, all of the food bloggers will be writing about it. But my mom will have discovered it before. She's just, I don't know, she has a gift. See, I've always been a strong believer in having people. Having people what? Well, you know, like people. I've my quiver of people. In fact, I have a, an entire tab in my contacts that's just called Katie, her people. I do have a travel agent. I used to have an insurance agent, if you can believe that. People like that. People who help you do your stuff. Like your accountant. Well, I don't have an accountant, but I, I need one someday. I guess I have one now. It's His name is Derek, and he lives <laughs> with me. He's my husband. <laughs> That's and nice. my taxes are going to be really complicated this year. Oh, freelance taxes always are. You should see my taxes. I have to do the whole foreign earned income taxes. Now that is a nightmare. Oh, I can only imagine. Anyway, we should leave it there because we're out of time. Okay. But until uh, next week, this is still the bittersweet life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. We'll talk to you again. Bye. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. If you get a moment, give us a good rating on iTunes if you like the show. And consider giving us a donation. There's a donate button at our website, thebittersweetlife.net. What little you can give helps the show keep going and stay free.